There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harley. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is runners only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey. This is Runners Only with Dom Harley. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, any way you coming. Uh, just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harley. Runners Only with Dom Harvey and New Zealand cricketing legend, Jimmy Neesham. I, I came up with this nickname for you and I, I didn't know if I was going to bring it out or not, but I... Like I was doing some research about you, Jimmy Neesham, and you're familiar with the movie Forrest Gump. Yep, of course. And, and he's pivotal in all these important key parts in history. Yeah. Like you name it, Forrest Gump's there. And I feel like that's the, the same as you. You're there right at the end of the Cricket World Cup final. You're there when, um, on the other end when McCallum gets 300 runs. There's all these important yeah, moments in New Zealand cricket, and you're right there in the thick of it every time. Yep, yep. I was I was in the stadium when Grant Elliott hit his six in the the semi final in twenty fifteen. I wasn't playing, but I was uh, there watching. So, um, yeah, I wasn't there for the underarm incident in nineteen eighty something. <laughs> you weren't but, born. Yeah, <laughs> you <laughs> but, couldn't have yeah, been. Most of the other ones, yeah, I've been there or thereabouts for, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but they're absolutely key moments. Yeah, like, like moments that are going to end up on the the underside of um, beer bottle lids as trivia questions in decades to come. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's. Um, it's a little bit testament to, I suppose, the level of success we've had over the last 10 or so years. Um, I suppose rather coincidentally since I started becoming involved with the team, um, yeah, we've sort of started challenging for those trophies and um, sort of you know, stopped being an also-ran in a lot of global tournaments. And I suppose when you have those significant moments as a team, then um, you're obviously more likely to be involved mm-hmm. as an individual. Why, uh, why is that? Why is New Zealand cricket in such a rich patch at the moment? What is it? Just like a lot of, lot of amazing players? Is that what it is? Uh, to an extent, yeah, I think uh, we had two really strong cycles of World Cups going through in, in 2008 and 2010, which, um, you know, you, you have guys like Trent Bolt, Southey, Williamson, um, uh, you know, Doug Bracewell, myself, uh, you know, any number of the guys that are in that kind of 30 to 32 age right now all sort of came through um, at a similar time, and I think um, when you combine that with, you know, the leadership of guys like Brendan McCullum and Kane and, you know, people putting the ship in the right direction, I think um, yeah, you're going to have some better results. Now, the podcast is called Runners Only with Dom Harvey, so that's why I've invited you here today because I know um, running's um, quite a big part of your life. Obviously, there's um, you're running between the, the wickets and cricket, which is, you're involved with, and you do very well. Uh, but running's a, a big part of your life as well. I follow you on Strava. You, you get out there. You mix it up. Yeah, yeah, probably... Uh, I wouldn't say it's a, a deep-seated love of running. I think it's, uh, it's something that, um, to be honest, I've always been weak at in, in cricket. You know, I've always been quite a strong, um, you know, bit of a gym bunny um, in that respect and always sort of had to force myself to do the running side of things. And um, it was really kind of in, in the first lockdown, um, well, geez, a year and a half, two years ago now, that um, because of not having access to a, a proper gym, I sort of got into running a bit more and, um, I suppose it's just like anything, if you force yourself to do it enough, you, you sort of get a bit better at it, and 
Um, yeah, I've tried to continue that on. Now we're, we're sort of back into a little bit more normality. I had no idea it was such a loathing for you. I like I, I thought you enjoyed it. Um, oh, my heart is breaking. Oh, I'm just not good at it. Like, it's, oh, what do you mean? You you go all right? Like you were sort of jogging paces about four minute four minute forty kilometer. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I'm just too big. You know, I'm I'm six three, hundred kgs. It, it's sort of, you know, I'm never going to have the the natural inclination to be a quick runner. So I sort of. Um, I go into the hurt box as, it, as it's known in cricket. So you know those four forties don't come easy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I sort of get out there and yeah, try and you know, get the get the five k's done. Sort of anything up to ten k's and, and anything longer, the um, the road gets a bit heavy. So um, yeah, I mean it's good for cricket. Obviously, being out in the field for for such long periods of time, it's great to um, be able to have that uh, cardio base, I guess. And right, um, yeah, I think it certainly helped me. Um, I'm you know fingers crossed a, a reasonably. Um, I suppose uh, resilient body. Uh, you know, I don't get injured very often, and I think um, it's definitely you know from that kind of base of cardio and strength. Do you think when you finish with cricket, it's something you'll keep you'd, you'd keep doing just for like fitness or mental well being or anything? Or no, um, you're absolutely done with running as soon as cricket's over. I think I'll be uh, I'll be like a once a weeker. I reckon once <laughs> I'm done, uh, just for that um, you know that base of cardio. I, I can see myself. Um, being quite strong, you know, going to the gym kind of every day kind of thing post cricket, but um, running, yeah, as I mentioned, being so heavy, it can be quite, um, you know, wear you down in your mm. joints a little bit. So um, I want to get give swimming a little bit of a go as well once I've got a bit more time. But um, yeah, certainly gym is the the first love, and then running is you know something that I've you know picked up recently and trying to keep up with. Yeah, swimming just seems like the most the most tedious and boring sport to train for. You know what I mean? It's so solo. You're staring at a, a black line, maybe seeing the occasional band aid, yeah. and that's it. It's just you yeah. staring at that line for thirty minutes to an hour. Yeah, I've got a theory that there should be two separate like categories of sport, and there's the sports where you're actually competing against someone, like rugby, soccer, cricket, um, boxing. You know those sorts of athletic sports, and then there's sports that you can do with no one else around and sort of compete against someone who's in England. You know, and that's kind of swimming, running. Those sorts of things where it's just you against a, a stopwatch, mm. and I think those ones where it's just you against a stopwatch, I really struggle with because it's tough to get that competitive instinct. Yes, and, yeah. Um, you know, I'm much more a boxer or a, you know a, a rugby player or something like that, where mm. you're up against someone and you're you know you're throwing jabs and they're dodging rather than yeah. just I'll try to run this hundred meters as fast as I can and hope that it's faster than you know mm. whoever's next to me. So yeah. swimming is definitely one of those sports where oh, it'll be such a mental test to be in that pool, you know, I follow um, Sophie Pascoe on, on Instagram and just seeing what she does in the pool every day is, oh, I, c- I couldn't handle it mentally, I don't reckon. Oh yeah, as, as far as um, a, a sport goes, um, when I was doing breakfast radio, we'd, we'd get calls like at 6am from parents that are taking their you know, kids that aren't old enough to drive to the pool, like the training that's required, and you think how many of those kids are in, end up going to make it to the Commonwealth Games or Olympics, not many, mm. so the, the training that's required is just phenomenal, you've got these kids that are going in the morning for a session, maybe again in the afternoon for a session, yep. for hours at a time, the, like, the dedication is next level. Oh yeah, I, I, I actually dodged a bullet. In um, secondary school, I got sort of roped into the rowing team for um, a week or so because you know, I've got the body for for a rower. Sure. And um, you know, I did a couple of those early mornings, and then I think my parents decided that cricket training after school plus rowing in the morning <laughs> is probably a slightly ridiculous schedule to be having. And um, no, I dropped off it pretty quickly. But geez, yeah, you're right. It, it's, mm. I mean, especially rowing where you're going backwards the whole time and you don't really know, you're not even <laughs> seeing where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's I'm not sure how those guys do that. And but, were uh, you were you always sort of quite gifted in the sporting department, like growing up? 
Um, yeah, uh, we're just naturally good at whatever you tried your hand at. I think, you know, I sort of, I do and I don't believe in, in naturally gifted sportsmen. I think, um, you know, naturally gifted sportsmen, I believe, are just people who always loved physical activity the whole time they were growing up as kids. And, you know, I sort of think back to, you know, my cousins and stuff at Christmas and we're always, you know, playing cops and robbers and running around and backyard cricket and all that kind of thing. And, and sport's just always been, you know, a part of my life. My old man was a rugby player and mum was a netballer and, you know, they always encouraged me to, to play as many sports as possible. And um, I suppose, yeah, when you get to the age of, of 14 or 15, people look at you and go, wow, he's gifted. But there, there's sort of... 10 or 12 years already yeah, of, right. like, running around in the backyard, right. you know, and behind you. And, um, yeah, I certainly, yeah, I, I was, yeah, physically gifted through my teens and, and coordinated and that kind of thing. But I do think that sort of came from a, a heavy diet of, mm. of physical stuff when I was growing up. There's that saying that um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Was there sort of like a natural gift, though, like a, at, at age group levels where it's like, oh, this, this kid's got talent and we need to harness it? See, because I'm, I'm thinking like me in my cricketing days, um, I was very shit. Yeah, very shit. I um, cricket's a sport where a lot of people are shit. Yeah, but I, I'm um, how old are you? Thirty-one. Thirty-one. Yeah. I'm I'm forty-nine. So when I was like ten or eleven, intermediate age, that's when Lance Kens, Chris Kens' dad, was like the the king of New Zealand cricket. So I had an Excalibur, Excalibur cricket bat. I bowled the same way as, as he did. Yeah, off and the wrong I, leg. Hey? off the wrong leg, kind of. <laughs> yeah, that. kind of with using both hands. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah it was a very unorthodox bowling style, and what to be fair wasn't very effective. So it became. Um, I don't know, for me, I'd, I loved cricket more than anything, but I tapped out at about 14 because mm. I just couldn't deal with letting teammates down. But I'm guessing that wasn't the same for you. Uh, you were probably the guy, in, the, the, the guy in my team that was sighing all the time at me for getting out for zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one because I think I look back at those, those days and um, we, we had a really, really talented team, like a club team back when we were sort of 13, 14, um, no guys that have kind of gone on to you know play professional cricket or anything, but but guys that were just we were a really good team and guys it was a proper cricket team and um, I don't see myself back then as being one of the the better players in that group. You know I was decent and you know good enough, but sort of not not kind of a, a generational talent like guys like Kane Williamson and Tim Southey and stuff were coming through the age groups where mm. you could sort of just see right like, really? this guy's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, so I sort of came through. I, I, you know, I don't think I, I don't think I made um, the Eastern Districts team in, at under 15s or under 14s. One of those age groups, I didn't make the team. So, um, you know, I certainly was not the guy leading the pack sort of the whole way through. But it was sort of that kind of 17, 18, 19, you know, age range where I sort of started mm-hmm. to put it all together and um, probably got a little bit fitter. I was a bit of a chunky boy coming through you know, my <laughs> teens and. Um, and just persistence, I think. Like a lot of those guys, um, you know, just decided to do other things and, you know, go get some went into other sports like rugby mm. and other guys just sort of became more academic. And um, I suppose I just persisted with the cricket a little bit. And, and it's one of those journeys where it's sort of small gains year on year and then you turn mm. back 10 years later and go, you know, geez, how far have I come? So, um, but, you know, going back to the original question, you know, I was, I was always... Uh, painful in PE class because that was always my favourite <laughs> class of the day. Um, but no, I wouldn't say I was 
you know, Usain Bolt from from sixteen. And so you you made your um test debut in, in uh, twenty fourteen, scored a century on debut. That that seems to happen quite a lot, doesn't it? Mm. What why is that? Do you think you're just like hyper focused or you're nervous and you're channeling the nerves into something really good? I mean, you're right. I mean, it would obviously you'd have to do a statistical analysis, yeah. wouldn't you, on number of hundreds versus debutant hundreds? But you know, it does seem. I mean, even just in New Zealand at the moment, we've got you know Kane, Tom Blundell, Devin Conway, myself. Um, Hamish Rutherford as well, so there's you know there's a lot of guys that do seem to come in and do it, but um, well, I think there's certainly an aspect of of um, the unknown from other teams. Guys sort of bowl to you and they don't really know what you're about, and um, potentially underestimate guys a little bit when they're making their debut. And um, you know, cricket's a funny game; you get a bit of momentum and um, things can sort of happen really quickly. So um, you know, obviously not playing Test cricket anymore at the moment, but. Um, yeah, those certainly those first two tests are, are pretty fondly kind of looked back mm. on. Yeah, why you, you played your last test in uh, 2017? What, what, why is that? Uh, is it too hard on the body, or no, you no, just no, prefer no. the shorter format? Uh, well, I was dropped, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, it was sort of, Sorry, my bad. Yeah, yeah it's um, yeah. I mean, it was just uh, one of those things, really. That um, you know, I was. Having a little bit of a lull in performance, I actually only played 12 tests, which people, you know, sort of don't realise. So, you know, I'd sort of had a rollicking start in my first five or six tests, and then I had a bit of a kind of lull in performance and um, actually broke my finger um, a couple of days before a test in Christchurch um, and ended up getting um, Colin de Gronholm got picked ahead of me um, for that test. And then he got, I think, seven for or something on debut and, and obviously has performed unbelievably well since then. And, um, I've sort of just never been able to get a look back in, really. I think mm. um, it's quite a difficult situation to be in being a, a white ball international cricketer um, because we play so much white ball cricket, we don't actually get the chance to play much four-day domestic cricket, so there's not that much of a chance to kind of force your way back into the team. Um, I think we've seen that with guys like Martin Guptill as well um, over the last 10 years or so. Mm. You know, you don't have that opportunity to play a lot of four-day cricket in a row and, and kind of get the rhythm of it, but mm. um, it's certainly something I haven't given up on yet. You know, yeah. I, I do play a lot of um, you know, T20 cricket and stuff around the world, just basically because that's what's available to me at the moment. But seems like that's where the money is as well. So it's not a bad situation to be in. Yeah, oh, certainly I'm not complaining. <laughs> you know, it's sort of it's one of those you know bizarre things where um, you know I'm obviously not getting picked in the test team at the moment, so I'm going and playing um, you know T20s around the world, and and often you know your, your match fee for a T20 in these other leagues is is the same as a match fee for a test match you know for New Zealand which is played over 5 days instead mm. of 3 hours so um you sort of watch the guys on TV you know slogging it away for for 500 overs and then go out and play a T20 and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and amazing. you guys sort of get the same paycheck so it's a bit of a, a strange way about a uh, way about it that the world mm. goes at the moment mm. but um, yeah, despite that you know certainly I'm keen to get involved again in test cricket if I can you know I'm still only 31 so um, got four or five years left in me, and, and certainly something I want to tick off before I retire. Yeah, um, can you explain um, to me and anyone else that's that's listening, like why why is it such a big difference? Like surely, from my perspective, and I'm guessing the same as a lot of people that listen, if you can cricket is cricket, you know what I mean. So if you if you can play well over twenty overs or fifty overs, why can't you play well over five days? Um, you mean difference in the the people who are good at each? Yeah, like why are you being picked for all um, these other formats of the game, not the not the tests? Um, look, I think test cricket is, um, you know, from a bowling skill set, it's much more about moving the ball around. You know, having a nice seam position, being able to swing it, um, being able to set guys up, 
uh, versus T20 cricket, which is a lot more about being adaptable, being able to escape batsmen, bowl yorkers, slower balls, like variations, that kind of thing. So from a bowling perspective, the skill sets can be very different. Um, from a batting perspective, you know, for me, I've never been the most technically sound batsman. Um, I'm powerful. I can hit big sixes, but um, I sort of struggle with, you know, the consistency of a forward defence and being like right in behind the ball and that kind of thing. So um, when you look at someone like a Kane Williamson, who's um, very still at the crease, very small, you know, small movements, gets into good positions, and then you put that next to me, who's, you know, big, stands with his legs far apart, you know, big high back lift, you know, it's quite um, different, you know, technically in how you find success. And, um, yeah, it's one of the challenges of the modern game is guys who have to adapt. You know, you might play a series against a country that's, you know, two tests, five one-dayers and a couple of T20s, and you've only got two or three days to actually try and, you know, adapt your technique in between series. It can be incredibly challenging, and um, that's probably something I better with a little bit. You know, I was also very young. You know, I didn't really know my game that well. Um, as you said, 2017, I think, was the yeah, last year. 2017. So, you know, I was 26, you know, so you, you're still finding your way a little bit um, as a cricketer at 26. So um, certainly would be a chance I'd relish um, to get another um, go at test cricket again and as a more complete cricketer and, and as a cricketer who sort of knows my game a bit more. Mm. Yeah, wouldn't you find – I don't know. It just seems more boring. Like I see I see, you, I see, you on TV and you go out and you've smashed 27 off 11 balls mm. like in the T20 semifinal. Then you – Test cricket, you got to just sit there and block for hours. Like, wouldn't yeah. you get bored and just take a swing at it? Well, the thing about test cricket is that it's the most satisfying. You know, you sort of explain. Well, it's just it's just so hard. You know, physically, mentally, it's it's the ultimate challenge in the sport. It's kind of like running an ultra marathon. It's it's almost just the the mental aspect of okay. getting through. And um, yeah, I mean, T twenty cricket's great. You know, you walk out, you're right. You walk out, hit twenty seven off eleven in a semi final and. Um, you walk off and you're in the change room and, and that feeling in the change room is great. You know, you've you've managed to succeed for your country, but compare that feeling to the feeling in a change room after you've, you know, bowled twenty four overs on day five of a test to, to get a victory after, you know, four days of toil and everyone's sore and tired and, you know, trying to get through and, and you sort of look at your mates next to you after after that kind of toil and, and coming out on top, I think. Mm. You know, that kind of satisfaction is is sort of on a different level. Now, let's go back to that, um, the uh, World Cup semi-final where you got 27 off 11 balls. Is that the one where there was a clip of you that went viral afterwards? And everyone, so, so you, you guys won that game, New Zealand won that game. You were yeah. playing, was it England? Uh, yeah. In the semi, and then you, you yeah. met Australia in the final and uh, just got beaten by them. But in the, the, um, there's a clip that went viral, and it's all your New Zealand teammates like jumping around, fist pumping when you won the game. And you were just like sitting there, and you actually looked kind of pissed off. Mm. <laughs> I, I was a little bit, you know, sort of. <laughs> You know, having been so close to, you know, 2019 World Cup final, you know, get to the Super Over, you know, lose. Um, you know, I've been involved in a lot of Super Overs and, and been close to, to many different, you know, titles. And, uh, you know, for me, it's – I don't, I'm not happy until you win. You know, it, it's been mm. taught rather harshly to me that, you know, you can't get ahead of yourself and, you know, get too happy before the job's actually 100% finished and – um, you know that was you know I don't begrudge the the other guys on the team for celebrating a victory. Obviously, it was a a ridiculous win, and, and we probably thought we'd lost it. Um, but you know I'd already turned my focus to the final, and you know in a few days' time. And um, is that right? Yeah. So yeah, you so your mind was already on the next game at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like immediately. Yeah, immediately. <clears throat> even even sort of before we won. You know, you know when we needed you know four runs off you know eight balls or something. You know, it actually. 
it actually game actually got to the point where we were so far ahead of the game that we pretty much couldn't lose it from being so far behind that we couldn't win in the space of kind of three overs. And a lot of that um, was to do with you. I mean, you won't say this, but I can. A lot, a lot of that is probably to do with the 27 that you got off 11 balls. Like That made the run rate considerably easier for New Zealand, didn't it, from there on? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, in that period as well, Daryl hit a couple of sixes as well while I was out there. So we probably put on 50 and, you know, 15 or 18 balls or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, it, it just swung. And, you know, by that point, um, I've never been one to – over celebrate, you know. If I get wickets, you're never going to see me doing some of these stupid celebrations where guys, you know, do backflips and dance and. Oh, I've come know, on! If you, if you could do a backflip, you'd do a backflip. Oh, I yeah. know I would. This goes back to being too big again. Right. <laughs> you don't see it's just not cool when you're six three hundred kegs. Yeah. You can't do backflips or dance or anything. You just look like an idiot. So, um, yeah, that's probably it's probably born out of the jealousy of watching younger or yeah. smaller, more live men kind of be able to do that kind of thing, but. You know, I've never been a, a big screamer and shouter and a fist pumper and, and that kind of thing. And um, I suppose it just comes back to, you know, trying to control your emotions and mm. in, a, in a sport that can play with them a lot. And, yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you know, three days later we did lose the final, so it was probably <laughs> pretty appropriate not to have celebrated too much on the semi. After that, you, uh, you you tweeted, job finished, I don't think so, which sort of um, explained, you yeah. know, explained the way you were feeling. But the rest of the team, do they, do they give you shit about that? Or does anyone say anything about it? I... No, not really. <laughs> I think one of the you know the good things about our environment is that we we do accept different you know points of view and different personalities really well. We've got a couple of guys in the team that would self-profess to be weirdos, and and it's about accepting those kind of blokes. And um, you know, in the heat of battle, you you know things happen. You say say things you regret, or things that sound silly, and um, or do things or whatever. And you know, it's part of sport where guys express themselves differently. And, mm. No, nah, it was never something that really got brought up. To be honest. <laughs> not in yeah. front of you, anyway. Not in front of me. Probably guys <laughs> were talking shit about me behind my back. And the um, so the the twenty nineteen final. So um, that was I remember this. This is so funny. I remember being in, in Istanbul at the time with with my mate Andy, and we were we were watching it on on my iPhone, and then my battery died, and we were watching it on yeah. his, and then his his partners. We even contemplated that morning like flying back to back to England for the for the game. It was like that exciting. What was it like being there? And did, did you have any idea like what would what what would happen? What the process would be if it was a draw at the end of the game? Did you? Were you aware of all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the funny thing that no one knows, but I always bring up is that I'd actually won a, a super over on boundary count back before. And yeah, uh, by the way, see, a lot of people who won't remember what we're talking about. Do you just want to explain the uh, yeah what happened at twenty nineteen? Uh, yes. So we we basically one day World Cup final um, ends up being a tie, um, which means both teams score the same number of runs. Uh, we go to a super over, which is kind of like the tiebreaker, like a penalty shootout. Um, and that was tied, uh, and then it ended up being we lost, England won on count back, which is basically who hit the most boundaries during the game, um, which is a completely farcical way to do it. And Stupid. makes no relevance to who's played better whatsoever, um, but was the rules. Um, so, yeah, I'd won a, a T20 uh, Otago Volts versus High Velt Lions in 2013. Um, exactly the same, super over. I was bowling. Um, in fact, exactly the same. Run out last ball, you know, to to win the game. Um, so I knew we knew, like we hadn't talked about it beforehand. But once it was a super over, and once they'd got sixteen or whatever it was, fifteen, um, we talked about it in the sheds going out that we needed to beat their score. We couldn't; it wasn't good enough to tie it. Um, so there was no. We knew that we needed to beat it, um, and we and we couldn't. Um, got close, but not quite. Mm. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's something you. I don't think you ever really accept a little bit. You know, I still sometimes just sit there and think about the super over and you know what different decisions I could have made during the super over. Is that right? It still plays through your mind. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I'd How, say. So what was that? Three years coming up. Three years, like two and a half, three years. Yeah, July twenty nineteen. Yeah. So I had, yeah. I had um, Shane Cameron on the podcast, the boxer, and he told me. Do you remember his fight with David Tua, the fight of the century? Mm-hmm. He, he told me it, it took him about 10 years to get over that. Yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Well, I mean... Do you think you, you'll be over this, this 2019 game within 10 years? Uh, I think I've got a chance. Yeah. I think... <laughs> yeah, I think... I'm at, I'm at two now. Well, two and a half. Uh, and I can talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, surely seven seven more years can be over it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think when you're in control, you know, when you, you know, something happens or, a, you know, a, a someone plays a great innings against you or whatever, you can kind of accept it a little bit more. Like I can accept the, the T20 World Cup final loss in 2021. I can accept that. I've got no problem with it whatsoever because Mitch Marsh came out and batted well. That's part of sport. Guys play well. Sure. But when you, you have just such freakish bad luck, seemingly repeatedly to almost conspire for you not to win the game, then that's probably a little bit harder to take. Mm. I think especially when you're involved, um, specifically yourself are involved in the final throws of it. I yeah, think, it was, yeah, you and Guppy right at the end, right? Martin yeah. Guptill. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of, in cricket too, where it's just such a, a freak sport where you can make good decisions and have bad outcomes. You can make terrible decisions and have good outcomes. There's no mm. you know rhyme or reason to... At least in small sample sizes, why people are successful and some people aren't. Mm. Um, so yeah, you certainly play through, especially the last couple of balls, um, and sort of think about different options. But I think, yeah, it's one of those things that takes a while to unpack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was such an extraordinary game, though. Uh, mm. You know, and you, you you were involved with that. So I, I suppose, um, you know, as I mentioned before, like you're involved in this game that is going to you know, go down in history books. Might may even. In future tournaments, could rewrite the rules potentially. Oh, I mean, the rules I think are rewritten. Oh, is that right? Yeah, since then. Yeah, I think they've changed it now, where you just go super overs over and over again until someone. Oh, that makes way um, more sense, right? Actually, wins. Yeah, that was my argument at the time. It was like no one's going home. (laughs) You know, it's the World Cup final. A super over that is tied. It's whatever time it was in London, seven thirty or something in the evening. There are lights at the ground. You know, no one's going. Oh, I said I'd be home for dinner at eight. You know, and, and leaving the ground. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like people have got another ten minutes for yeah, guys yeah. to come out again and do another super over. So yeah, I thought it was a bit farcical at the time that it wasn't that. But I mean, you can't complain because I mean, they didn't make the rule up on the spot during the game. It was there in the in the rule book beforehand, and you can take that on the chin and and sort of move on. What was it like in the dressing room after that? Did you cry? Yep. Yeah. Did you? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it was. Pre- it was like a morgue. Yeah, it was, was everyone crying? I mean, everyone expresses their emotions in different ways, I guess. I think, I think the overwhelming emotion was disbelief. Mm. I, 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 no, there wasn't much anger. It was just kind of, you know, I mean, I was disappointed because I felt like I'd let the rest of the team down. I think um, Guppy was obviously, you know, pretty devastated having had, you know, I suppose a, a challenging World Cup, you know, in total, and then to have that to kind of put the icing on the cake was. Pretty pretty cruel. Um, I yeah, I think disbelief overall. You know, just silence for what felt like twenty minutes until you know guys came back in. Kane obviously came back in from the media and all that kind of thing. And 
Um, you know, it, it was kind of surreal. I think guys were just couldn't quite fathom what had happened. Because, um, I mean, we, we'd won the game, really. I think England needed 16 from three or 16 from four or something. You know, it's sort of, it was pretty much over. And then, you, you know, to have it kind of taken out of your grasp like that. And a lot of the guys had no control over anything. A lot of the guys wouldn't have touched the ball for the last half an hour. Yeah. You know, so you're sort of, you're almost a spectator at that point. And, um, yeah, to, to go through that, it's a sort of two-month tournament from start to finish and then have it finish like that. Yeah, I definitely disbelieve. Oh, you must have felt the love and support from New Zealand, though. Like, it was, it was, it was massive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't actually come home for a while. So it was sort of, it was funny. I went to... Stayed in London for a couple of days and basically got pissed the whole time. <laughs> um, and then I went to take a train up to Liverpool. I went to see one of my friends, um, old friend from Otago, and, and stay with him for a couple of days. And, and I went to um, London Euston Station and there was a gigantic banner. I got my ticket and I went to go to the um, kind of the platform that has all the platforms and where you need to go and that kind of thing. And I was looking up at it and this gigantic, it would have been, 30 metres by 15 metre electronic billboard popped up of England lifting the trophy and all the fireworks <laughs> going off and everything and I was looking up at it and I was just like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> it was kind of like, oh. and it sort of got on the train and you know got up there. It would have been good now if I could have had a mask on and no one would have been able to see. But everyone was sort of looking at me, going, I had my black caps bag and everything and it was just like, fucking hell. Mm. And everyone's coming out, going, "Oh, you guys are so unlucky!" And you know, you sort of go, "I just want to go and climb into a hole and yeah, yeah, and hope that everyone forgets." But um, luckily, I had I actually went to the uh, Toronto um, for the Global T Twenty, a T Twenty franchise tournament that was there, and um, Toronto was the perfect place to be because no one gave a shit about the World Cup. You know, you, oh, yeah, you no know, one would even know really yeah, what cricket is exactly. Yeah. And, and all the cr- other cricketers that were there knew. Not to say anything. <laughs> so out of respect. Was, yeah, out of respect. Not, not a word was spoken about it the whole tournament because everyone was there. I think on the first night, a couple of guys were like, what, how, like, what are you, how are you coping? And then I was kind of like, right, this is the last time we talk about this for the next two weeks. Mm. And then from then on, it was just basically go to the ground, play a bit of hidden giggle, have a slog, then go into Toronto and have a few beers and, and sort of spend a fortnight basically trying to um, forget about it. Um, and then you know came home after that, and by that point it would it had sort of uh, died down a little bit. Yeah. Oh, the, the whole the whole nation felt for you guys. So so you and Martin Guptill being there at the end, going through something like that together, that, that's got to create you know some sort of bond that sort of you know connects you guys in a in a deeper sort of way for life. Surely. Yeah. Well, we were close already. Yeah. You know, we played for the same career club in Auckland. You know, way back in in two thousand seven eight. You know, when I was coming out of school and. Um, you know, we've, we've been to obviously any number of social events together over that period of time, knowing a lot of the same people. And, um, yeah, I actually said before we went out for the super over, you know, how cool is it that we've come, you know, full circle Mm. from, you know, I remember, you know, when he got picked for New Zealand, you know, way back in in 2007 or 2008 and and he, he got a hundred on debut as well, actually, in, in an ODI against West Indies and, um, you know, being so in awe of him then, you know, because I was you know, two or three years younger than him and just come out of school and he was 21, 22 and playing for New Zealand and, um, you know, looking up to him a lot and then sort of coming full circle. He obviously stayed in Auckland. I had to go away to um, make my career and uh, to sort of come full circle around and, and be out there together. It was, it was a pretty cool moment. And, um, yeah, you, you sort of, 
you find or try to find ways to, to comfort someone like that when something like that happens. But mm. I think um, there's not a lot you can say in those situations. You've just got to give guys space for 20 or so years. and you know. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years, according yeah. to Shane Cameron. Yeah. I suppose that's the difference with um, like the Shane Cameron thing, taking 10 years to get over the tour fight and, and you guys. like Boxing is... Um, yeah, there's there's nowhere to hide. Like he got a hiding in that fight, mm. um, and it's a solo sport as well. Mm. I suppose at least you've, you you guys have got each other. Mm. In well, a situation like that. I think it's a it can be a, a really good thing. It can also be a, a really bad thing because depending on how strong your culture is, um, it's very easy to, for people to blame other people when things like that go wrong. And in boxing, you know, you, unless you're going to blame your trainer or, or something like that, you know, at the end of the day, it's you out there. And if you get punched in the face, it's because your hand was too mm. low or whatever. 100%. In, in cricket, you know, it would be totally justified for people in the Black Caps team to blame, you know, me or Gappy or, or whoever, you know, didn't win the game, even not who lost the game, who didn't, you know, do something. Oh, you to, could never do that in a... Uh, who, but, do you, who do you mean, like, um, like sports commentators or well, media, no. or not your teammates? Surely. Well, I think you know I've been in cricket teams in the past where you know the batters and bowlers have had a rift. Mm. You know, you, you're, you're losing games and guys are going. You know, we we can't bowl to subpar totals every game and expect to win and, right. and all this kind of thing. And you know, because guys get dropped and you know sometimes not based off their own fault because of team performances. Mm. Um, I've certainly been in cultures in the past where the people play the blame game and you know point fingers at other people for their failings and that kind of thing. But I think that was probably um, incredibly fortunate that we had such a strong culture and the, the team through that World Cup where you know it was never really even mentioned by anyone. You know that um, you know people could have done things differently or you know whatever. It was just kind of like we're in this together, one and all. And, and you know the result was obviously pretty shit, but you know it was a result that we all. You know, took on the chin. Yeah, actually, I never really thought of it that way. But I suppose, um, like cricket's one of those things. Even though it is a team sport, there, there is a whole lot of individuals that, within that team sport uh, mm. in terms of like stats and records and whatnot. Yeah. So I suppose the even though it is a team sport, I suppose you still have people playing an individual game to a mm. to a certain degree. And the reality is, there's it, it would be especially in domestic cricket, or um, you know, leading up to IPL auctions and all these sorts of things that. People have individual goals, you know. You want to get picked for New Zealand. You want to play as many tests as you can. You want to go for half a million dollars in the IPL or, you know, whatever. So there's actually very logical, justified reasons to be very selfish mm. in, in a cricket team, you know, because people look at guys' records and what they average and, and that kind of thing. But I think the thing is around, you know, domestic cricket especially, other cricketers can tell. You know, you, you yeah. play other teams and you know who in that team is a bit selfish and, yeah. you know, will play for themselves and, you know, we'll get to the end of a one day and instead of trying to hit a six, they'll just go, oh, and they'll hit one on the ground and get not out and, you know, help their average and guys who won't run at the end of a T20 because they don't want to get run out. And, you know, these, the, all these little moments in cricket where you can tell, you know, if guys are actually in, in it for the team or in it for themselves. And um, Are those are those people sort of frowned upon? Abs- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes they, they get a talking to. Right. You know, By who? Like captain, coach? Oh, senior players in the right, team. Right, You know, whatever. We, we've got a a culture in New Zealand cricket where it's not really, like Steady would never tell anyone off. For, Who's Steady? Uh, Gary Stead, the coach. Right. He wouldn't, you know, pull someone aside and it would be much more a player-lead thing. Right. Where, you know, um, I mean, I've had it happen to me. You know, it's sort of... Have a, you? Yeah, where I remember we were playing a one-dayer and um, I can't remember where it was, but I was bowling and someone did a shit piece of fielding and I 
kind of blow up at them and you know was frustrated and um, well, you're a competitive guy oh because you're a competitive guy you're in an environment where you know you, you it's a high pressure environment and it wasn't even that bad, you know. It was kind of like, oh, for fuck's sake, or something, you know. And <laughs> you, are, you are the guy. You're the reason why I stopped playing cricket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, just out of frustration. You know? Yeah, of course. And um, and Tim Southey actually pulled me aside after the game. So he's and been around a little bit longer than you. Yeah. So he's yeah. A, a senior member of the right. team, and and he just sort of reminded me like that's you know not how we go about things mm-hmm. in this team, and you know everyone's trying their hardest, and you know blah blah blah, and sort of like and and. I was, it was 100% correct, you know, mm. and you sort of take it on the chin and probably didn't like it at the time and probably went back to my room and went, oh, fucking picking on me, whatever, but <laughs> you sort of have some time to yourself to think about it and you sort of go, well, it's probably justified, you know, and and I think it's important that you have a culture where guys can call each other out and, yeah. and you know, you can take it on the chin and, and realise that it's about making the team better and, and moving forward as a group rather than sort of being picked on or mm. being singled out or, yeah. or whatever like that. God, you guys really are the nice guys of uh, world cricket, aren't you? Yeah. Like the New Zealand team, you've, you've sort of been called that before, I know, on on yeah. the world stage. But you really are. Mm. It seems like it's such a respectful and polite environment. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, you can't. I think a lot of other international teams have. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The depth of player to sort of just flick guys out, you know, if they're, if they're not gelling in the team and, you know, if they're a good enough player, they'll just keep playing because, you know, you know they have enough people that if people disagree, they can just drop one of them and you know, that kind of thing because there's such a big player base. Where I think in New Zealand, there's, I think there's 15 times six. There's only 90 other cricketers outside the black caps to choose from, you know, right. whereas India have 500 and yeah. Australia have however many in grade cricket. So you actually need to value the individuals and actually get everyone working together as a group because there's actually not, you know, three more Trent Bolts in domestic cricket. There's not two more Kane Williamsons, you know, it's sort of like the guys you've got who are the, mm. the top echelon of talent are kind of the only ones you've got. Yeah. Right. Um, which is starting to change a little bit recently. We're getting a little bit more depth with kind of a teams and that kind of thing. But um, it's certainly been a challenge in the past with New Zealand cricket is just a lack of numbers. Mm. Now we are we're recording this on the day of the IPL auction. So um, you you woke up this morning to news that um, you were picked up at the auction for how much? Uh, one point uh, one hundred and fifty lakh, which is which is about three hundred thousand New Zealand. Right? Is that exciting? Is that exciting to wake up to, or is it like oh cool, and then just on with your day? I think it depends on on what part of your career. I remember getting picked up when I was twenty. Three or twenty-four the first time, and it was like the best day of my life. 
Um, and now I'm a little bit older and, you know, a little bit wiser and, um, you know, I've been through that ringer a few times. It's much more the latter, you know, you sort of, okay, cool. Now I know what I'm doing in, in April and May and, you know, the, the money is, is sort of, it's nice, obviously, um, but it's sort of secondary to um, trying to be involved in a, in a unit that does well and, and mm. sort of the experience of India and playing cricket at the highest level and that kind of thing. And um, Yeah, it's something, you know, I'm 31 now, so I probably don't have that many cycles left in me, so mm. it's always nice to, to get one more under the belt. Yeah, so were you? Do you think you were selected because of that um, that uh, World Cup semi that we talked about before, where you got twenty seven off eleven? That can't have done you any harm, right? Because they love the big hitters. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd hope that you know scouts of those sorts of teams are a little bit more um, intelligent than picking teams off one innings. But um, yeah, look, I mean, I had a, I played at Mumbai last year in the IPL and and had a pretty good tournament, you know, with the ball. I didn't score runs, but got quite a few wickets. And um, yeah, I think. By now, at 31, I've sort of shown my wares in international cricket over a number mm. of years, and um, you know they're not they're not stupid. Those IPL teams there's a lot of money involved, and yeah. a lot of analytics and that kind of thing. So I'm sure there would have been a lot of match up talk going into it, and um, yeah, just really excited to play with some of the world's best players. Josh mm. Butler's in the team, um, Trent Bolt, who I played with last year, has mm. come over to Rajasthan as well, and um, you know Sandra Sampson's an unbelievable Indian you know, youngster who's sort of making his way, and, and it's sort of a a real privilege to, to be able to work in an environment like that where, mm. you know, last year I got to, you know, train in front of Mahela Jaya Wardner and Zahir Khan and, you know, legends of the game. And and this year I go Kumar Sangakara as the coach. You know, there's some of the guys who've been literally the best players in the history of the game and you can sit there for two months and, and pick their brains and, and figure out how to get better. And Do you do you pick their brains? Yeah, different, definitely. Do you, do you, do you not, would you not see yourself as a peer to those people? No, God, no, no. Really? Why not? No. Kumar Sangakara scored about 40 test hundreds and, you know, averaged 50-something. You know, he's, he is one of the, the greats of the, in the history of the game. And um, No, I wouldn't see myself as a peer to him at all, either in knowledge or in ability, mm. I think. Um, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm good in this era of the game. You know, I hold my own. But when you compare to, you know, guys like Sangakara and um, Jai Wardner and Shane Bond and these guys mm. that have been, you know, True greats, you know. You, you can only sit there and listen. And Sachin Tendulkar was in our management group wow, last year. And wow. To sit there and you know have a share a bottle of red with Sachin and talk about playing spin and you know that kind of thing. You just sit there and you just sort of just hang off every word. Well, you just try and get them talking as long as possible. You know, you sort of mm. looking at your watch, going, "Fuck, it's two o'clock in the morning. How am I gonna?" <laughs> and he's going, "Oh, you want to be light on your feet and go forward and back and that kind of thing." And you sort of just go, "Oh, well, like." What about if it's doing this? And you sort of sit back and they just talk for another 15 minutes and you sort of sit them the whole time. The, the shame is you don't remember any of it the next day. Because <laughs> of the wine. Yeah. But you, you try and pick up things in the nets and work on things. And um, I suppose the biggest value is just finding out these guys are all human. Mm. You know, they, they all have their own, you know, self doubts and times in their careers when they were struggling and actually talking through it with them and um, realizing that, you know, you're, you're not alone. You're not an you know, unusual person if you're going through these self doubt moments mm. and you know struggling in your career and stuff, which is always you know pretty cool to to experience that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of that, what's um what's your mental health like? You you seem like quite a quite a stoic and resilient guy, but I'm I'm guessing cricket's one of those things that does have the potential, as far as sports go, to sort of fuck with your head a little bit. Oh yeah, it it beats you up big time. I think, um, you know, I've had struggles in the past. You know, I actually had a period of time out of the game and in 2018 and sort of went back into you know the real world and got a real job. And um, Did you? What did you do? 
uh, I was the communications assistant for a agritech company. Right. So that's random. Yeah. Well, my um, my partner's brother um, was high up in the in the management of the company, and they needed some just another pair of hands to um, do some shit. And um, I just was there for four or five months, and and I actually really enjoyed mm. it. You know, that's, what it actually did for me was it actually removed the fear of cricket not working out. You know, you know, I'd always been a cricketer from you know I left school and went straight into the Auckland Aces changing room as a you know a first year rookie and I'd never really experienced a real job and I'd always sort of had the fear of you know what if cricket doesn't work out and I get dropped and you know I have to mm. make my way into the real world and then doing that for five months I actually realised that actually I'll be fine you know yeah and you'll always find of, something of course yeah. and it's sort of and then when I got back into cricket that removed that fear of failure and you know oh God I really need to make this work and probably took a bit of a weight off my shoulders and mm. um, allowed me just to, you know, focus on, on what's important, which is watching the ball and, and trying mm. to score runs. Yeah. So so, so what, do you, what do you do to make sure your, your mental health is where it should be? Like, do you, do, are, there, are there some triggers or do you know if um, things are going off balance? Um, yeah. I, I mean, for me, it's about autonomy. It's about having control over my day-to-day life, um, being able to make decisions. Like, I think something that I've been really challenged by with having to be in bubbles a lot. Um, is that lack of control over your life, and um, you know, I'm I've always been a guy. It's funny, I I absolutely despise doing going to the gym in the team gym window. Like I hate being in there with other people all the time. And like for me, like exercise is is a chance to escape and mm. be by yourself. And um, so a lot of people have sort of said, "Oh, you don't you don't gym much." And it's like, well, no, I, I gym a lot. I just don't gym much when you're gymming. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. If the, if the gym window is 10 to 12, I'll go at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, right, you know, right. Sort of, so I need to have that control over my own movements. And mm. um, So I'm fine when I'm back in Auckland generally. When, I've, you know, when I'm at home and got my car and can train when I want and run when I want and that kind of thing, I'm good. Uh, it's just challenging on tour with bubbles mm. and stuff to, to try and find that autonomy. And um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's challenging. I'm probably one of them, one of the guys that struggles the most in that kind of environment. Yeah. Um, but I think it's you know, about being aware of um, how long you've been away for, what what kind of teams you want to sign up for, how, what kind of period of time you're going to be away from home, and and sort of identifying areas where you might be battling. Oh, you're a dog guy. I'm a dog guy as well. Mm. God, you must miss your dog when you when you mm. go away. Yep. Who who yep. who looks after He's, the dog? Yeah, I got my fiance Alex is at home and she's does Kanye's sleep underneath me. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she does the heavy lifting from that. I mean, he's pretty good. He's he's yeah. pretty low maintenance. Take him out for a walk in the morning, and he's pretty chill the rest of the day. So um, he's pretty good with that. But yeah, it's it's not a lifestyle that lends itself mm. to to pet ownership. But yeah, so how long are you away for? What do you reckon on an average year? How many months? Um, uh, last year was was bad. Last year I left uh, at the very end of March, and I got out of MIQ on the first of December. So. It was yeah, that's um, pretty much the entire year. Yeah. So, and you've also got to think, you know, when I'm home, you know, that January to March period would have been playing, mm. you know, in different parts of the country. So even mm. when you're you're home, you're not, you know, home home for the for the majority. So, um, you're playing games down in Dunedin and Christchurch and Wellington and stuff. Um, and it can be extremely challenging. But I think the the thing we focus on is that it's short term. You know, yeah. It's probably, in terms in terms of your your life. In terms of my career, okay. yeah, it'll be. It'll be another four years, probably, at the most, um, and then after that, you know, hopefully you've you know built up a enough of a nest egg behind you to to sort of not ever have to do any of that kind of thing again. Mm. And 
um, yeah, that's kind of one of my main goals at the moment is um, to to get that financial, I suppose, um, clout behind me to to be the dad that drops his kids off and picks them up and doesn't have to. Yeah, has that flexibility that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Are you on track? The IPL money must help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, that extra three hundred every every year or so. Yeah, it does um, help boost things. But yeah, yeah, I think I'm not a you know a flashy guy. I don't, own a Rolex, you know, or have a you know Beamer or anything like that. I'm pretty happy with my Mazda and my Garmin, mm. so you know it doesn't take a lot. Um, so yeah, on track for the the skinny version at the moment, and then we'll I, see I, how the next few years go. Yeah, but I, I think I think that's the key to happiness. Eh? just wanting less rather than mm. wanting more. I really yeah, do. Absolutely, and I think um, you know, obviously, it's an incredibly challenging environment at the moment financially for a lot of people in New Zealand with yeah. you know house prices and that kind of thing and. Um, you know, I obviously have a, a lot of friends who aren't cricketers, who are kind of um, engineers or teachers and that kind of thing. And mm. it's sort of, for me, you know, Rams home, you know, how privileged we are to, to be able to earn what we can um, while we can. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, you know, the IPL auction, there's, um, you know, some stinking players went for kind of a million plus. So, some stinking as in no good. Yeah. Really? So you, oh, sort, of, you sort of sit there and how, probably... How does that happen? Oh, you know, we were talking before, and you, you said you know the the, the the teams aren't dumb, so they they wouldn't just pick you on that yeah. one performance. How does a stinking player go for a mill? Uh, well, it just comes down to what the teams need. You know, a lot of the time, um, you know the 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 more desirable players, and this is not a rule, but a lot of the time, the more desirable players people plan for, so they sort of go, okay, you know, Trent Bolt's coming up this number in the auction. Do we need a seamer? Yes. What are we willing to bid for him? Uh, we, we're willing to go up to 1.2 million. And then, so everyone has these plans. Mm-hmm. And everyone obviously plans for getting him. But naturally, there's 10 teams and there's probably seven or eight good fast bowlers. So all these teams plan for getting these guys. And if you can get down and you're one of the last couple left of that group that everyone's targeted, all the teams look at each other and go, well, there's only two good bowlers left now and there's right. four of us. Gotcha. So all of a sudden that's when people make dumb decisions because they panic and go, okay, shit, if we don't get one of these two guys, we don't have a bowler. And that's when guys go through the roof. Right. So that's what happened to <sighs> um, Kyle Jamison last season. And I'm not saying he's a stinking player. So, <laughs> but but he was he had a really good year. Yeah. So he had a lot of guys that were, a lot of teams that were looking at him going, oh, he could be really good for us. Yes. And he was in a small auction that didn't have many fast bowlers. So then four or five teams looked at him and went, oh, we really need him. And that's how you go for mm. kind of 2.7 million because there's limited numbers. I mean, he went for 2.7 million. Jai Richardson went for one point something. Riley Meredith went for one point something. These are all, you know, good bowlers. Good, Like, don't get me wrong, very good fast bowlers. But all the teams already had their, like, top echelon fast bowlers locked up. Guys like Joffrey Archer and Trent Bolt mm. and Lockie Ferguson. Um Stark, Cummins, all these guys are already locked away. So then you get the guys that are coming up again, and they those are the ones that go yeah, massive. Yeah. Um, so a couple of there were a couple of all rounders who kind of have had a good couple of months and got the eyes of the world on them, and you know, a couple of teams panic and you know pay overs. And mm. and I think five years ago I would have looked at those guys and gone, "This is bullshit." Like, <laughs> you know, I'm better than him. 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 But you know, after you kind of go through it a few times, there's probably Four or five guys who didn't get picked up at all looking at me going, I'm better than him. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah, the it way it works. Right. Um, um, so yeah. you sort of be thankful for what you do get and, yeah. and, and sort of just move on. What was your biggest year for the IPL? 
Uh, this is my biggest. Oh, 300,000. Yeah. yeah, so you, yeah, big year for New Zealand. 11, 11 yeah. New Zealanders picked. You got 300,000. Lockie Ferguson, 2 million. Trent Bolt, uh, 1.6 million. We, we have talked a bit about the money, but sure, yeah, how, how does it work? Surely it's not as glamorous as it sounds. Like you get taxed, you pay an agent. How much? Yeah. Do you end up getting like half of it? Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, it depends how much you play as well. I mean, obviously, it's per game kind of thing. So if you get picked up for, you get 80% if you don't play. So if you get picked up for a million and you don't play at all, you get eight hundred grand kind of thing. Um, and then yeah, agents. Some guys have agents. Some guys have their fees capped. That's kind of different for different people. Mm-hmm. And then obviously tax. So I think generally, if you can walk away with half, you're you're pretty good. Um, Jeez, it's not it's still, not bad for a couple of months' work. Well, absolutely. And that's the thing, you know. And I remember say I look back in my very first year when I got picked up for Delhi. I got picked up for about I think it was about two hundred and thirty. Um, and I was 23 years old. You know, I had nothing. You know, I'd played two years of domestic cricket. I probably was had a net worth of about 30 grand. <laughs> you know, and it's sort of like, and I got picked up for 230 grand, and I was disappointed because everyone had told me like, you're going to be a millionaire. Like, you're going so well. Like, these teams need you. Like, these teams are going to bid for you. Like, Corey Anderson went for 900 grand. You know, half an hour before I went up, and so you're sitting there going. I'm going to be a millionaire. Well, today's the day. Yeah, today's this is like, oh my God. And then I remember, like, it went, oh, it sold for 230000 or something. And I was like, what? You know, <laughs> is that, that all? Yeah, you know, like, that was, and you're looking back now, you go, that's a completely insane way for a 23 year old who's worth 30 grand to look at getting paid $230,000. Mm. But it's all the expectation of, I deserve this and, and he's got this amount, which means I should be there or thereabouts. Yeah, and, you can't kind compare. of thing. And I look back now and go, I, I, like, I was such a penis. Like, I should have just been <laughs> so happy. And, and you know, and like, a, like more money than I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I was disappointed. And I look at that person and I go, what a fuckwit. Like, <laughs> now you, you sort of go full circle and you sort of go, awesome. Like, take it off. So grateful. Like, so lucky. And just hopefully be able to stay uninjured and, and mm. get over there and, and sort of continue you know, being able to play a sport for a living. And, mm. and it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very the, living the dream. place to be in, yeah. And um, do you enjoy going to Ind- – Indians love their cricket, eh? They're mm. absolutely mad about it. You must yeah. be like a rock star over there. It's got to be good for the ego. Is it good for the ego? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It's it's different now with all the bubbles and stuff. You're, you're very separated and, um, you know, you people can't get into the hotel. You can't leave. So you sort of – you have the same people all the time. So at Mumbai last year, you know, I knew – you know, all the waiters' names and stuff, you know, because the same people working kind of breakfast and dinner and that kind of thing, and they'd sort of, oh, you want the usual for breakfast, Jimmy, sir? And you'd go, yeah, yeah, poached eggs on toast, avocado, you know. And, you know, it sort of it became almost like an extended team. You know, mm. you have mm. these guys and you know. And, and I remember thinking, like, oh, these guys are pretty cool. Like, they don't really, they're not fanatical about cricket. They're just, you know, here for the ride as well. And then it got down to the last night where we were going to leave the next day. And it was just like a frenzy. It was like photos and autographs, and can I have a shirt? And can I like all this kind of thing? And I made a piece of artwork for you, and like all this kind of. Oh, so they're just being super chills so the whole that, time. So they'd obviously been given the hard word, like to not be, bother the be, players, like not be fans, yeah, yeah, not be, yeah. Because in the bubble, it is kind of your sanctuary. Is within the bubble, you kind of you know you you can't really escape it. So you, it's not ideal to have people kind of in your personal mm. space and that kind of thing. So they'd obviously been given the hard word. Um. Oh, that's a, that's adorable. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was funny, and you sort of all the guys like, oh, thank you, sir, thank you, sir, mm-hmm. like kind of thing, and, and you sort of go, oh, they are, they are still fans, and 
um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a massive difference from the, the first year I went was was obviously pre-COVID and you're going to nightclubs and going out to people's places and sponsors' evenings and dinners and that kind of thing and, uh, and it's all, yeah, very um, frenetic and, um, you know... I well, they're passionate, enough. aren't they? Yeah, oh, so passionate and they love the game and um, they love they love the individuals. Like they, So we had in my team, Kevin Peterson was in our team um, at Delhi, and he was just an absolute, just like literally genuinely a rock star, like would walk in and he could just walk around, do whatever he wanted. If he was, if he went to a nightclub, he could just walk up and DJ the nightclub if he wanted to. Like mm. he, they literally, he could do anything and people would just nod and go, absolutely, sir. And like <laughs> go, and it's sort of, you sit there as, as a, as a Kiwi who's, you know, you sort of stay in your place as a Kiwi, don't you? You sort of come in and you, you never ever say, you know, can I skip the line? Like, do you know who I am or anything like that? Absolutely like, be, not. Like, not. Never ever like anything like that. And then to, it's almost expected. You know, you mm. sort of walk up to a nightclub in India and they go, why are you waiting back yeah. here? Like, just walk up and go in. And you sort of go, oh, no, I'm not really that comfortable doing it. And then KP would just sort of strut to the front of the line and <laughs> just stroll in. <laughs> you go, okay, I'm, I'm with him. I'm with him. <laughs> you just don't want to be the first one. Yeah, exactly. Just sort of follow him in and, um, we, w- we were walking through this thing and um, it was uh, Kevin Peterson, JP Dumini and myself were um, walking in and we walked past and this guy goes, oh my God, Kevin Peterson. And then he goes, oh my God, JP Dumini. And he looked at me and he went, Steve Smith? <laughs> <laughs> and I was I like, yeah. See it. And I was like, yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I I can sort of see a bit of Steve Smith in you, the yeah. Australian guy. Well, I mean, if it was that way around, you'd be called racist. But yeah, you know, yeah. if, it's the, if it's said to a white man, you go, oh, yeah, you look kind of like, yeah, you look similar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All you blonde-haired, blue-eyes guys look similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And um, yeah. who, who was it for you growing up? Who did, who did you pretend to be in the backyard when you were playing cricket? So uh, where was that, like 20 years ago, I'm guessing, when you were sort of 11, 12? Yeah, yeah. So I, I would have been, um, oh, I loved Adam Gilchrist. Yeah, I loved Chris Cairns. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of that kind of you know Nathan Astle, mm. those sorts of guys. Yeah, back in the was that back in the, the teal blue days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. glory days of New Zealand and, cricket, and yeah, the glory days when Chris Cairns had his long hair and yeah. sort of the top of his mark going like that. And yeah, it's sort of. I mean, I was, I was a cricket fan. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I you know, I remember getting my bat signed by these guys like on the on the side of an oval and that kind of thing and. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool experience to, to now, because you never really re- realise that you've become that person. You're not. I don't oh, you, you, must, you must feel like it if, you, if you're fielding at the boundary or something, and oh, I don't, there must be times where you feel it. I think you, you sort of feel it by how people treat you. But, like, I remember getting an autograph from Chris Cairns at Eden Park and kind of giving my, and just being like, oh my God, this guy's like amazing. And now you sort of, stand on the outfield and you sign autographs for kids and that kind of thing. And then you, you it's almost like that imposter syndrome where you go, I, I don't really know mm. if I should yeah. be doing that. You know, you sort of come in and into the change room and you're just with your mates who, you know, you play cricket together and you, you know that, you know, you're all kind of battling through a little bit, trying to figure things out and, you know, trying to work things out technically. And then you sort of walk out into the field and people think you're this kind of deity and, it almost feels a little bit you're unworthy at times. Mm. And you sort of go, oh, you know, you shouldn't really be looking at me like that. You shouldn't be looking wow. at me the way I looked at Chris Cairns because 
you know, he was just such a larger than life individual to me at the time. But it's fascinating you know, that you'd still feel that way. Yeah, it's it's, it's really nice to know though. Mm. It's really good to know. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a distinctly Kiwi thing. I think mm. I'm not sure if many of the other countries around the world have players that think that way. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, like. Knowing the guys on the team, and I know a lot of the guys feel similar. It's kind of mm. like we're just kind of trying to get through, trying to win games of cricket, mm. and you know, it's sort of. And you know, I almost still feel like at thirty-one, I'm starting. You know, I'm still learning and still That's trying to become so cool. better. And, and obviously, there'll become a time where my body sort of can't do it anymore. But I still think I'll be in awe of these other guys yeah. until the, the day I finish. I think oh, you still got a lot to offer. Mm. Actually, on on that, I might just find my friend Bridget, her seven-year-old son Benjamin. She picks up. Do you want to ask for Benjamin? Hi, Hi Bridget. It's Jimmy Neesham here. How are you going? <laughs> not, not a phone call I was expecting. Is Benjamin around? He is. Just a moment, please. Apparently he can spin both ways. I don't really know what that means. Hi. Hi, Benjamin. It's Jimmy Neesham here. How are you going? Good. Are you a cricket fan? Yeah. Yeah? You're a Black Cats fan? How are you going? Are you a batsman or a bowler? All rounder. All rounder, yeah, that's the way. All the best players are all rounders, eh? Yes. Why don't you ask me a question about batting and bowling? Do you like batting or bowling more? Oh, I like batting more because bowling makes me really sore. What about you? What do you prefer? I like bowling. Oh, you're probably going to be better than me then. Oh, is he gonna? Are you gonna play for New Zealand one day, Benjamin? Hopefully, that's what I want to do. Oh, perfect. Well, keep working hard, and I'm sure you'll get there. The other question that he did have—he's um, a little bit shy. Yeah. Uh, was um, what's your favourite innings that you've played? Oh, favourite innings. Um, I think I would have to say. Uh, Play, probably the World Cup against Pakistan. I, we the were in it. The T20 World Cup. Uh, no, the, the 2019 One Day World Cup. Um, ah. we're, we were in a bit of trouble and um, managed to, to get the team out of a, a bit of a sticky situation. So I'll probably say that one for, for how challenging it was. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> it was good okay. to talk to you guys. Thank you. No worries. See you later. Good luck. Bye. See ya. So you you wouldn't realise the the impact you have, but um, uh, like he's he's a chatty kid and he doesn't shut shut up about <laughs> you, and he's just obsessed with cricket. But I suppose as soon as uh, I don't know, maybe it's stage fright or something. Mm. But as soon as the moment comes, you, you, you must have that. A lot of kids that just just go completely fr- freeze on you. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's funny because you can see, um, like obviously I've got eyes, so, <laughs> so you can see people from like a long way off, and you sort of. You, know, you can tell that they've noticed you. Yeah, yeah, and some sort of sometimes you'll be sitting in the you know in the mall food court or something, and you'll you'll sort of see a kid kind of wide eyed looking at you, and um, you sort of go, okay, I wonder if this kid's going to have the guts to mm. come up and actually say something, and you know you can see the dad kind of just nudging them in the back and, and go on like go say hi, and and you're sort of sitting there like watching, going, is he gonna? And probably 
uh, way more than half the time, the kids just go, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of sit down. Oh, it's the cutest right. thing. So, so that, that yeah. kid, Benjamin, um, they, they live just at the back of the apartment. I said, said to my friend Bridget, I said, oh, if Jimmy's got five minutes afterwards, we'll come around and say good day and have a photo. Yeah. And um, I did that, the same thing a couple of weeks ago with Hayden Wilde, who got a bronze medal in the triathlon at the Olympics last year. And his response, he was, how many of these people am I going to meet, Mum? Mm. Uh, I'm just wondering when life, when I'm going to go back to my real life. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's the benefit of having a, a world-famous podcaster next door, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, you get all yeah, the guests. Maybe. maybe. Um, hey, you've been so generous with your time. God, I, oh, one more thing I want to ask you, the, um, the COVID thing. You must be so pleased that, it, touch wood, we're getting to the tail end of that. How many isolation days have you done, do you reckon, all up? Oh. Have, you, have you sat down and worked it out? How many stints? Uh, well, I know I've done three of the, of the managed ISOs in New Zealand. Um, 14 days each time. Uh, the last one, I managed to sneak in when it went down to seven for a little bit. Uh, for one of them, so I did 14, 14, 7. Um, bubbles, probably another f- four, another five months, probably, Bubbles, um, which is obviously essentially MIQ in the mm. hotel, not allowed to leave um, except for the ground, and um, yeah, probably more than that, six months maybe. Um, and then obviously when you're overseas, still for other tournaments, there's a lot of restrictions around sort of where you can eat and what you can do and all that kind of mm. thing, so... I am well and truly ready. Hopefully everyone's vaccinated and boosted and everyone's sort of ready and prepared. And, you know, middle of the winter, coming into next summer, we're going to be back through the back end of it. And Yeah, we'll be humming. What about tests? How many, how many tests do you estimate you've had, COVID tests? Um, I would say somewhere maybe 300. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, we... Wow. Um. Yeah, when we we were doing every day, every day in IPL. So, um, just go down to breakfast. There's a dude there in, in the room next to breakfast, and go get your test. And not the nose one. Yeah, the nose one. Oh yeah. my god! So, wow, um, your poor nose. Yeah, well, I think in yeah in IPL it was, uh, it was nose, nose, throat every morning. Mm. So two up the nose and then one in the throat. Um, yeah, each morning and. Um, obviously, every time we fly, you know, you need to get the pre- pre-departure. pre-departure sure. and, um, you know, it's sort of at, at, um, at when I was at Essex as well playing county cricket, it was every day before training. If you want to come into the change room, you've got to get an RAT test. Um, so, yeah, very used to it by now. But the, the worst one is, is New Zealand pre-departure <laughs> test. <laughs> is it New, why? New Zealand go the hardest. Right. Yeah, in terms yeah. of depth of the yeah, nose? in terms yeah. of depth. And, you know, because you, you can rank them all. Because in IPL, I mean... They're obviously testing it, but they don't really want to find it. Like they, of want course, to, yeah. they want to keep the show rolling on, yeah. so they kind of do a little kind of up around the inside. And, like oh, a, thanks, a, mate. Yeah, yeah a little tickle. On. And then obviously in New Zealand, they're, they're fully into it. They, so are, they, they uh, want it. They are finding they it. They go right into the brainstem and have a little jab <laughs> around, and you sort of forget your uncle's name and stuff. You go, fuck, it's just knocked out of my brain. Mm. But no, it's uh, it's certainly something I – I mean, you learn to, learn to take it, don't you? Mm. <laughs> I suppose. Well, see, well, um, see, that's, that's <laughs> the only option. Because yeah, I, um, I managed to avo- avoid COVID testing altogether until I travelled towards the end of last year. Yeah. And I found it fine. I had a saliva test for pre-departure and then overseas, you know, there's throat tests. Or, and as you said, they don't go very high on the nose. Then when I came back for MIQ, uh, I was shitting myself about that very first test. I was, like, dreading it. Um, but the first one was actually fine. It mm. sort of tickled and I sneezed afterwards. It felt kind of kind of pleasantish even. Yeah, just a wee tickler. And I thought, oh, I've, yeah. I've been dreading this thing and it just goes to show that you shouldn't be 
fearful of these things because whatever. And then yeah. the day three test or whatever, oh my God, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. My eye was watering for hours afterwards. Yeah. It was unpleasant. Yeah, we, we went in, in the hotel and we're at the Crown Plaza and I went in for my day one and someone was coming out. I think it was maybe Tim Seifert. And he just went, don't go to the blonde chick on the end. <laughs> and I looked at him, he looked like he'd been punched in the face. <laughs> so my eyes were watering. I got in there and there was like this one blonde lady at the end looking at me and I was like, nah, just like waited, waited a little bit longer to get the, the lady sort of closest and she wasn't too bad. But now there's certainly a, a difference in, in It does in depend on the individual, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Hey, um, hey, we'll finish up with some quick fire running questions, even though, um, yeah, it's been a g- fabulous chatting with you. I never realized you had, I, I invited you on because I thought you enjoyed running. I, I <laughs> enjoy, I enjoy, I feel better when I am running. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that it's pain while it's happening. But then when I'm in a rhythm where I'm running two or three times a week, I definitely feel better as an mm. individual. It's just the case of actually having the self-discipline yeah. to do it. Okay. What do you listen to when you run? Uh, Spotify playlist. Do you? Not, M- no, music? not podcast. Yeah. yeah. Music. Yeah. Um, where's your favourite place to run? Uh, I, I love running around Cornwall Park, but it's we're down kind of in One Tree Hill, only Hungerish area, so it's like a real steep run up Rafferty Road to get there. So I love the running there, in there the most, but I hate mm. getting there the most. So, <laughs> so oh, because the hell, the hell is the great? Yeah. Oh no, nah, I'm heavy, mate. Yeah. You're, you're 80 kgs <laughs> bringing wet. Mate. I'm 101. Okay. <laughs> um, what's your favourite shoe? Do you have a favourite shoe to run it? Uh, New Balance, of course. Yeah. And you prefer to run alone or with a crew? Alone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the I'm the same. I, I've I've got a thing. If you're running with someone else, someone's someone's running faster than what they want, and someone's running slower than what they mm. want. Um, it's, I, it's although great. I do like that, um, I go running a lot with Lockie Ferguson and Ben Horn, who's an Auckland cricketer, because they're both fitter than me. So if I go running with them, I, I, I'm like panting like a dog, mm. like hanging out the back end of them, and I need to hang on, and that's when I run my quickest. Yeah, right. Because when I'm by myself, I'm kind of in my comfort zone. You go, yeah, you do. Yeah. You, you tend to cruise, don't you? You mm. go at your comfortable pace. Um, do you prefer um, summer running or winter running? Summer. Oh, runner's high. Real or myth? Real. As in like while you're doing it? Well, I think I think it's just that endorphin rush. I feel like it can happen during or after. Yeah, uh, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah definitely. You have it during uh, or after. I've Sounds like it. you have it when you're as soon as you finish running. I've I've actually have had it a couple of times during, um, but like when I've run a half marathon, like that kind of kilometer sort of thirteen to fifteen, like just at a random point in the middle when you've sort of gone into the hurt box and you've run too far and you don't have the ability to keep running, but then you do. And then your body almost gives up. Your body stops bothering telling you that it's in pain. And mm. It sort of goes, oh, okay, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And, mm. then, and then you sort of run for a couple of Ks in the middle and you go, I feel great. Yeah. And then obviously inevitably it comes back. Yeah, but- it's, it's like <laughs> a sweet spot. But it's amazing eh, how you can sort of ebb and flow like that and go from um, mm. feeling complete shit and yeah. like you've given it everything you've got to suddenly having a period where you're, you're just in like a flow state again. Yeah. Well, you see it, like I just mentioned I use Strava, and you see it with the kilometre breakdowns, and sometimes you just have a couple of Ks where you t- you go 10 or 15 seconds quicker than all the rest of it, and you look back and go, no, that wasn't downhill or anything. It was just kind of got into a good rhythm, mm-hmm. and like I try and match my breathing up with my with my strides, and if you can, if I can do that, I feel like I'm like in a real good rhythm of running. Yeah, that's a good idea. I've never, never tried that. Yeah. So- yeah, yeah. So I suppose it's like um almost like a like a locomotion sort of thing. Yeah. You probably get in like a zone and yeah, like I try and go out, out, in, and out, out, in, and with my like right. left, right, left, right, left, right, and just try and like get into a rhythm where it's just almost all happening. Yeah, in sync. Yeah, 
I don't know what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's the thing. It's such an individual thing. Nobody, nobody does, and there's no right yeah. or wrong, and I think that's the cool thing about it. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. Best of luck for the, the year ahead and what it may bring. Hopefully um, we get to see you in whites playing a test, test match again. Yeah, ideally, ideally. I know I'm not going to get an invite for a run now because we both just said <laughs> that we like running by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's great. I'd love to run with you sometime. Yeah, sounds good. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.